0: Hey, my name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. If you are a guest with us, welcome to our family get together. We meet every week to celebrate Jesus, our Savior, and the Bible teaches also that he is our big brother and that God is our Father. And if you're looking for a home, a place to belong, we invite you to kick the tires of faith here with us. We'd love to get to know you and invite you in. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. And while you're turning there, I just kind of want to make you aware of where we've been and where we're going. See, Awaken is simply a 30-day season of prayer and fasting for our church and for our city to wake up to Jesus' purpose and presence in our lives. The whole point of these 30 days, and today is day eight, the whole purpose of this season together as a body is to, in a more intentional, almost laser-like focus way, say, God, we want to be your people through and through, not simply to share with others who you are, but to know you more fully, to love you more deeply, to enjoy you with every fiber of our being. And so we're in a season of prayer and fasting, and I know so many of you, in fact, most of our church right now is participating in this season. Uh, we have, many of you are going through the daily devotions, and, and, and you're praying for people that you believe God is wanting to use you to reach, and so it's just a great season. And We began last week with looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, this is in the second portion of chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, and the big idea is simply this. We are asking God to wake us up. To see what he sees, to love who he loves, to, to be able to observe what is happening around us like the good Samaritan did. And unlike some of the religious guys, when they found this man who was beaten and left for dead, there was a man, a Samaritan, people that the Jews did not like and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, and yet it's a Jew and a Samaritan, and the Samaritan helps the Jew. And he saw what God sees, and so he did what God does. And so last week, we started just by saying, God, would you open our eyes? Would you wake us up? You remember the blinky awake? Could you, with your soft voice, call us awake to see who you want us to see and love who you want us to love? But I want to kind of go backwards now to the very first verse of chapter 10, and here's sort of the setup. Jesus is about to commission a group of people to go. 72 of them and he's going to send them out and the whole goal is to share with others that the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel, the chosen one from God is here, he's coming, he loves you and if you choose to love him back, you can find life and salvation in him. And so we begin reading in verse chapter one of Luke 10 and it says this, after this, the Lord that's Jesus, the Lord, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Where are you going to stop there this morning? He appoints them and he sends them, 72 in all, but going in groups of two by two into every town and place that he was about to go. I want to begin this morning with a question. Have you ever found yourself in a position... Where you felt under-equipped, under-qualified, under-resourced for an opportunity? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you felt under-equipped, under-resourced, under-qualified for an opportunity? I, I was thinking about it earlier this week. And there's probably, for any one of us, you can think of a dozen moments in life where that became very clear, that what you've been called into is greater than what you have within you. And I remember the day I got a call from my wife. This has been about nine and a half years ago. And she said, hey, uh, when are you coming home? And I said, well, you know, it'll be another 45 minutes, hour from now. And she goes, oh, okay. Now, now fellas, let me just kind of give you a clue. If you're new to marriage... And if you're, if you're, maybe you're smarter than I was, I didn't pick up on this, but when your wife asks you the question, when are you coming home, and does not give you a reason to come home, but just kind of goes, "Ah, okay, there's something going on. And so I get home, and I'm thinking nothing of it, but I come into the house, and I meet my wife, and, and she gives me a big kiss, and she goes, sweetheart, honey, schnookums, she said, I want you to see something. I said, okay. I'm thinking like, what animal has died that I've got to go get out of the house? What what animal do I have to kill? I mean, that's the job that I have in the house. I basically eat food and kill things. That's about it. And so she said, hey, come with me to the bedroom. And so I go to the bedroom and, and she, she pulls out. And how many of you know what I'm about to tell you? She pulls out one of those um, <clears throat> little... Magic sticks, you know what I'm talking about. Like if it turns a little color in the middle of the stick, like a line or a plus, or you know maybe it's you know I don't know what the different things are. It means something's about to happen in your life and everything's about to change. And so she hands me the little magic stick. She said, um, "Sweetie, I'm pregnant." And it was one of those moments that when, and you know what it's like, by the way, if you've had kids, you've, you've experienced that moment where you learn it and you're like, yeah, oh, wait, hold on, explain this to me. How, what does that mean exactly? Like, like can you explain what is about to change? And she goes, I- I'm pregnant. Isn't that exciting? And, and, and I tried to muster up the excitement, and, and it was sort of, it was like a, yay! I went up about four octaves, and, and I, I she goes, are, are are you okay? I mean, I'm I'm not looking well. And so I said, I'll just I'll take that with me. I said, I just I need a moment. I go into the bathroom, I close the door, I lock it. I mean, I'm not sure why I feel like I need to lock the door for my wife, but I go and the edge of the tub, and I sit there and I just stare at it, willing it to change from what it was to something else. It doesn't happen. I'm in there for 30 minutes after that. I I come back out, and and Lindsay goes, whoa, you okay? I said, I just need to go mow my yard. (laughs) It's like in a world where now I have no control. I have to control something, so I'm going to go, and I'm going to attack the weeds that I call a lawn, and I'm going to get rid of them. So I got to, to mow the lawn, and nine months later, by the grace of God, my sweet wife gave birth to our first child, a healthy little boy named Stephen. We named him after my dad, Stephen, and his middle name, Oliver, after Lindsay's grandfather. And I got to tell you that throughout the months leading up to it, and certainly the months after his birth, I felt under-equipped, under-qualified, under-resourced to the opportunity that God had introduced me into. And and I can remember one of the first moments where Lindsay points back and says, this is where I knew that you were going to be a great dad. I'm like, really? What was that? She said, it was the day that Stephen was sick as a dog, but we didn't know it. And you're holding him, you're like, and he responds with a, and he responds with a, And she said it was just like a stream that was just coming out and just kind of pounding. And she goes, and here's how I knew you were going to be a great dad. You didn't drop him. (laughs) I mean, the bar was down here. But here's the thing, over time you begin to say, okay, I, maybe I do have, maybe God is equipping, maybe God is resourcing, maybe God is, and so two and a half years into this thing called parenting, when I had just started to figure out how to work it, I was like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm a great dad, I know how to do this, Lindsay calls me again, she goes, I got another magic stick for you, and this time it's not going to be a little boy, it's going to be a little girl. And I got to tell you, it was like I figured out how to do boys really, really well. I thought I did at least. I've still not figured it out. But I thought I did. And then I learned that just as I think, okay, I am equipped. I am ready. I am. It's like every bit of the manual to parenting. I just go. Because how many of us know that little boys and little girls are really different? Now, my daughter's at home sick right now. And they're watching online. So I'm not going to explain any of those differences right here. But how many of us. I've had that moment where you feel under-resourced, under-prepared, under-equipped for an opportunity that God is inviting you into, and maybe it's not a kid, maybe it's a job. You get that promotion, you get the job, you, you know, maybe you're starting out and it's only to flop whoppers, but you're doing it, that's your new job, but you're still under-equipped, under-qualified, even for that new first job. How many of us, it's the, the first time that we step into a classroom as a teacher, And you see all these young children looking at you, these high schoolers who are twice your size, and you think, I do not have what it takes to do what I've been called in to do. Or maybe you're married and and it started off really, really well, but now because of circumstances, you feel under equipped, under prepared, under qualified to do what God has called you to do in that relationship. Or maybe, maybe God has called you into a new city, and this is new to you. You're new to Chattanooga, and you're just kind of looking around going, man, it's not a huge city, but it's a big city. Or maybe you're in a new neighborhood and you you know God is calling you into something more, to be more than just a place to live, but God wants you to use that as home base for the kingdom of God in your place. But you go, man, I am so under-equipped, under-qualified, under-resourced for the opportunity God has called me into. And I gotta wonder if that isn't the feeling that these 72 people were feeling about this time. Because here's what's happening. Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, Their death defeater, miracle working, proverb quoting, conflict working, Jesus has been leading them now for some time, and now he looks to them and says, tag, you're it. It's your turn. And we're going to look at the rest of what happens starting next week, but here's just a sneak peek. Jesus calls them out of complacency out of simply following and begins to send them and he gives them instructions but part of the instructions he says oh and by the way I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves how many of you know you'd be kind of taking a big step back like hey I don't think you need a 73rd person Bobby here will step in for me Because you feel under-resourced, under-prepared, under-qualified for the opportunity God has called into you. And yet he says, I'm going to call you into something because what I've now given to you, I want you to give to others. But here's what I want you to see, and I think this is so important. Notice it says a couple things. Number one, it says 72 others. Now go back one. It says 72 others. Notice that he's not just calling the 12. This means, listen to me, this means that this isn't just the the all-star team, this isn't the Peters, the Andrews, the James, the Johns of the group. Rather, this is all the guys that you never hear about, all the girls you never hear about, all the people that we don't see in Scripture, named by name, and yet God says, you're not JV, you're called up to the same leagues as everyone else who follows me. He calls us all into it. And then he says this, he, he says, but, but listen, I, I want you to understand that before I send you to go, you need to first stay I think the two most important words in this first verse are the first two words. Go ahead and we'll, we'll put it up now. Look at this. It says these two words. Say these two words with me real loud. Are you ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. After. Let's do it again. After. One more time. After this. Good job. After this. After this, the Lord Jesus appointed. After this, the Lord Jesus sent. After this, the Lord Jesus did his work and sent them to do something. After this, and here's the question, what is the this that this is talking about? What is the this that this is referring back to? The this in this passage is referring back to the previous chapters in the gospel of Luke. The this that came before what he's about to do, the thing that happened before what he's about to send them out to, the this is that he first called them to come be with him before he sent them out for him. The this is that before Jesus gives the last command to go and make disciples, he gives the first invitation to come and be his follower or disciple. In other words, before Jesus ever calls us to go out, he calls us in to his presence, to his relationship Maybe I could put it this way, before God wants to do something through you, He wants to do something in you. Before God wants to send you out to make a difference in your neighborhood or your workplace or your school, He wants to do a work in you and in me. And here's what I think is so important The purpose of our 30 days is not, hear me now, please hear this, the purpose of this 30 days is not to just do some sort of ritual of prayer and fasting where we're just trying to do something and made it through a new discipline. The purpose of these 30 days is not to half-heartedly pray for the eight people that God has put on your heart. The purpose of these 30 days is not to simply read through a journal. The purpose of these 30 days is to step closer and closer and closer to Jesus so much so that, that his smell gets on you. Have you ever been close to someone who's wearing a lot of cologne or a lot of perfume? Have you ever been close to someone and as you rub up near them, you leave but their scent goes with you? He's saying, I want you to be so close to me That you take my presence wherever you go. That it is unavoidable to those around you, and you never forget that I am with you. So, before God wants to do something through us, he wants to do something in us. This is why the center point of Awaken is all about prayer. And I believe this is why God, through the pen of the Old Testament psalmist says these famous and familiar words, Psalm forty-six, ten, says this, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. In other words, there are some knowings that can only be learned through stillness. How many of you uh, have ever seen a snow globe before? Any of you? I've got one right here. This one is a great vintage. You know how a snow globe works. It's It's a globe, and there's stuff inside that looks like snow. Hence the snow globe. Now, this one, I like this one. This is actually a frozen Two snow globe and inside is uh, Anna. How many, of us, how many of you like Anna more than Elsa? Any, any of you in here? How many of you like Elsa more than Anna? How many of you just want me to let it go? And, uh, <laughs> now, how does this work? Very simple. A snow globe is one of these basic little toys. You simply shake it, shake it like a Polaroid picture. A second reference today, just keep with me here. And then and then What happens? You got, you got snow, you got swirly, swirly stuff going around whatever's inside. You shake it and then there's this whirlwind, there's this hurricane, there's this flurry of activity around it. How many of us feel as though that life is like a giant snow globe and other people, the world is just shaking us? Man, you go to work, you got a plan for your day, but you walk in and your boss drops a folder on your desk that would crush a small child, and he says, I want this by noon, and you feel like, oh, it's just been swirled around me. Long before you ever are in a position to begin to go and share, you feel like the world is just upside down. How many of us go into our classrooms and we think that we are going to experience this kind of pressure or that kind of pressure, but it's something completely different that we're not prepared for and it's swirling around us or maybe it's in your home or wherever it may be and you just feel like, man, the world is shaking me. One of my favorite cartoons, it's of a snow globe and there's a house inside with a man and a woman and the man goes, Rats. That's the 47th snowstorm we've had today. And the wife retorts, she goes, ah, the snow doesn't bother me. It's the accompanying earthquake that really is a bummer. And sometimes we just feel like we're being shaken, don't we? But notice that the beginning point, the starting point for knowing God, to experience the presence of God, is not that we run and try and go and do, because here's the reality. For many of us, the world isn't doing the shaking, we're doing enough shaking of our own, aren't we? That, that we just never stop and are still And I think there's so much we could learn when it comes to experiencing the presence of God in a powerful way that we can learn from the snow globe. And I just want to give you two things to consider this morning, and we'll call it day. But here's here's the very first thing. When it comes to experiencing the presence of God, it, number one, takes time to still your body. It takes time to still your body. How many of us know that it's a hard thing to slow down physically. I I find that I am great about talking about things, but I am not so great at actually doing them. I'm a great preacher, but I'm not always a great doer in life on this one. What's so interesting, though, about this, years ago, my uh, first pediatrician was named Dr. Walker. She was over 90 years old. This woman was relatively old, and she was just a little bitty old lady. She had this straight white hair that she always had in a ponytail. And I remember going in to get physicals or whatever else, and this is back in the day. She would always give us... She had this thing of... Lemon drops. How many of you like lemon drops? And I, now whenever I taste one or I see one or I smell one, I'm always taken back to that room where I would get a shot. And so now I cry uncontrollably at the smell of lemon. It's really embarrassing. But she would give you a lemon drop if you, if you made it through one of your exams. And, but I remember one of the best pieces of wisdom she ever gave my parents who shared then with me is simply this. She said, when you're sick on the inside, you got to Rest. The inside. But you can't rest on the inside if you're busy on the outside. I'll say that again because some of you think that's obvious. I'll say it again though. If you're sick on the inside, you can't get well unless you rest. But you can't rest on the inside unless you're resting or still on the outside. In other words... I cannot still the flurries inside if I'm shaking on the outside. This is why Jesus, before he begins any of his ministry, he is baptized in the Jordan, and we're told in the first three Gospels, immediately he leaves there and he goes into the wilderness where he is with God for 40 days. In other words, before the world begins to demand on him and crush on him and start to tell him what he needs to do, he has to first go and be still with his Father because the world will cause the chaos and he needs to be steadied and Still, listen, I'm not Jesus Christ, so if He did it, how much more do we need to do this church? And interestingly enough, Jesus didn't just do it one time, but rather, throughout the gospels we're, we're told that early in the morning, before the sun was up, he would get away by himself, to a lonely place where he could pray and be with God. He was taking time to still himself. There's this phrase: "Fight or flight." It's the response that we have to stress. We either are a, you know, fighter or we run away. I love what one of my buddies says. He says, I'm not really a a fight or flight kind of guy. I'm more of a slap and run kind of guy. Do I have any slap and run kind of people in here? You just, I remember when my sister Emily was probably six years old. My dad was teasing with her and he came over, got real close to her and he went. And he thought it'd be funny to watch her jump. She didn't jump. He learned at that moment she is not a flight kind of person. She is a fight kind of person because she punched him in the face. (laughs) So So we all have a way of responding to stress. In fact, our bodies do a lot of different things when the world is shaking around us. We know this biologically. Our eyes, they dilate. Our heart rate goes up. Um, you may begin to feel a little bit shaky or sweaty, but your hands are cold. You know what's happening. It's the blood that's in your extremities. They're running back to your vital organs to protect because depending on how bad the situation is, it's saying, i got to protect what's most important. There are different ways that our body... But here's one other thing that happens. When we are stressed, how many of us, have you noticed that you sometimes will do this... (gasps) what am I forgetting to do? Breathe. Isn't it interesting that the very first thing that happens in the Bible, when man is created, God does not stick a key in his back and twist it like a wind-up doll, but the way God animates humanity is face-to-face breathe out so that we can simply breathe in. the first great awakening took place in the presence of God being still to receive what only he can give. Being still takes time to be still. My question, friends, do you have a place and do you have a specific time where you say that is a sacred space, that a space is sacred to time with God? Every morning, my wife, about 5.15, she is up and she is in a little guest room we have in the house and there's this little space that she sits in and that is her space That is her place to be with God. It is a holy place because she goes there to meet with him before the world starts to crush in, before the globe of life starts to shake, she sits there and she... she receives from him. See, before God ever sends you out to do something, he wants you simply to sit... And receive from him. You are not called a human doing. You are called a human being. Because you are to be with God. The second thing, it takes time to still your body, but it also takes time to still your mind. How many of you, just show of hands, how many of you have what you might call a busy mind or a busy brain? You just can never turn your mind off. It's constantly rolling. You, You lay awake at night maybe. And although your body is still, your brain is just going 100 miles an hour, you're thinking about what happens. And, and, and by the way, there's some of you in here, you're not this way at all. And we all hate you for it. <laughs> now, I mean, you, some of you, some of you you've, got, uh, you've got that nothing box, men. We all have one, but some of us, we have a really small nothing box, the place where your mind goes when you want to think about nothing. Your wife says, honey, what are you thinking about? And you're like, well, nothing. And she's like, no, really. And you're like, no, really, there's a box. It's in my brain and I, it, there's nothing in it. I'm thinking about nothing and 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 so some of us we have small ones but some of you have really big nothing boxes and you're able to sort of to chill and I wish I were like you I'm not but I have a busy mind and I've learned that I can be still physically but inside it doesn't matter that my outside is not moving because the inside is still going and going and going Practicing the presence of God, this time of prayer, this time of just receiving from Him. I've found some people say, well, just empty your mind. I don't know how to do that. Here's what I do know how to do. I can't empty my mind, but I can replace it with something else. Have have you noticed this in your own lives? It's hard to let go of any thought, but perhaps to exchange it for one that you believe is is a game changer. Let me give you a few things here. When you go to God, when you've got your space... You've got your little place, you've got your sacred spot where you meet heaven and earth, you and God, in that moment. And when you're pausing and stilling yourself for the day, when you're receiving from him, maybe the way to still your inside. Let me give you a few suggestions. You might want to jot some of these down. Here's the first one. Be silent. Just be silent. How many of us would have a healthy relationship or call a relationship healthy if only one person in the relationship did all the talking all the time. God invites us not simply to speak to him but to sit with him. One of the first ways I would encourage you to practice the presence of God before you ever go, just to sit and be with him, to enjoy him, to know he loves you, is to just sit in silence. And some of you go, that's crazy, I can't do it. That's fine, set a timer for five seconds. It'll take you longer to set the timer than to actually experience it, but start somewhere, maybe 10 seconds or a minute or or five minutes. I don't know how long for you, but pick some time. And let me give you a couple more. One of the things that has been very helpful for me is to simply just sit there and then to acknowledge internally and then spoken to say, God, I know you are here. I receive you here. I I, I know that you're present. And there are days, church, I'll be honest with you, there are days that I say it more than I actually feel it, but I affirm with my mouth what I want to affirm with my heart. So be quiet, affirm his presence. Some of you are journalers, write down your thoughts. Sometimes it's not about just getting rid of thoughts, it's just putting them on paper. Or for me, yesterday morning, I got up real early, I just was, honestly, the globe was just spinning in my mind. And and so I sat there and I just, I sat there and I vomited up all the stuff in my mind to God. Have you ever done that to God? He already knows what's in your heart. He doesn't need you to speak it for his benefit, but he needs you to speak it often for your benefit. God, this is what's going on, this is what's in my mind, this is what's happening. I just need you. So to be silent, to acknowledge his presence, to journal, to share with him what's going on. And here's one that I think is so valuable. I would suggest to you to begin to rehearse the promises of God. You say promises? Yeah, in Scripture, God promises so many things. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He promises that greater is he who is in you, that would be his Holy Spirit, greater is his Holy Spirit in you than the enemy you will face in the world. What is in you is stronger than what's swirling around you. Um, He promises that even when you are tempted, he will give you a way of escape from the temptation. In John 14, Jesus tells us, he promises us that he will give to all who follow him God's Holy Spirit presence and the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in the moment you need to say it. He promises also in John 14 that the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. Isn't that good news to know that you are not alone? Anyone else find that comforting? In John 16, he not only says that, he promises that when you go into the world, you're not going on your own or by yourself, but rather the Spirit of God has already gone throughout the world and is the one at work interacting in people's hearts, preparing, softening the soil so that when you arrive to deposit the gospel seed, they're ready to receive it. Rehearse the promises of God. You know what a rehearsal is? How many of you have ever played a a, a piano, an instrument, or a sport? So we call it rehearsing or practicing. We practice or we rehearse in private so that we're ready for the big moment. We practice on our own what we want to get as such second nature. My son, he's playing the piano and he's learning, and he will play over and over and over and over and over again, the same song, so that when he plays it for the recital, he is flawless. Here's the thing, as you rehearse in your mind the truth, the promises of what God has promised to give you, to do through you, what it does is it gives you what you need for in the moment you need it. See, it all begins with the presence of God. Time with him. Before God wants to do something through you, he wants to do something in you. I remember when Lindsay and I were first dating, and I don't know if any of you did this, Um, what we would do when we were dating, I ended up moving to Texas, she was still finishing up school in Nashville, and so we would date for over a year long distance, and so the way we would communicate was over the phone. And she was an RA at Lipscomb, that meant she she was responsible for one of the dorms, she had to check kids in, whatever else. And so she couldn't go to bed until after midnight, and I was already up anyway, so, so we would talk on the phone, and, and so we'd be laying in bed, and we'd be talking, and, and you know these, these early dating conversations? How many of you remember those? And you almost just, it's like, that is so sicky sweet now. And I, I remember we would be on the phone talking about things, and then there would come that moment, it's like, well, I gotta go. Oh, do you have to? Yeah, I do. I tell you what, hey, let's. You, you hang up for us. no, baby. You hang up, no, baby. You hang. Oh, you shut up, no, you shut up. I mean, huh? And then we then say these words. Okay, okay, okay. We'll hang up at the same time, right? On the count of three. Are you Are you ready? Okay, let's do it together. All right, one, two, three. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Are you still there? Yeah. Oh. And it, okay, and I remember one night forgetting to actually hit the end button. This is in the day that you had a little physical button, and I forgot, and so it's like snoring in her ear all night long, and that's how I knew she was the woman for me, and so, but here's the thing, it's like, it's like this conversation began, but it did not end, See, this is the picture of your life with God that what begins in private in this moment where you steady yourself, where you are still and you get to know God, that he loves you, that he is for you, that he is not against you, that nothing can separate you from his love church, that friend, I don't know where you are, I don't know if you know God personally, I don't know, and perhaps you're thinking there's no way that there's a God who loves me because it's not what I did last year, it's what I did last night, And you feel this sense of burden and grief and angst and the world is just spinning and you go, I don't know, you need to hear me now that God loves you. You say, how do I know? Because Jesus' blood paid for you.